Man, I am so grateful to have the chance to be with you guys today on Father's Day. It is a privilege as I think through, man, where would I want to be? I want to be right here. It's because of that, man, I'm excited. So here's what we'll do. We're, we're going to start. We'll just spend a little bit of time in prayer together, and then we'll jump into a sermon. And then, man, the goal is we'll have you guys out of here on time to hopefully just by a little bit, and those of you that know me, pray for this, right? Just by a little bit, we'll beat the brunch line for those of you who have reservations or family lunches or whatever you got planned. But that's our goal. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the privilege to gather, to celebrate you, to remind ourselves of what is right and true and pure and honorable. God, I'm asking you do what only you can do, and it's change lives. Would you help me to leave this time looking more like you, to living more like you? Would you help those of us here who, who know you to walk in a faithfulness fueled by love? And God, would you help the people here just wrestling with faith, like wrestling with the reality of what you mean and your intentions towards them, and if you're good or you're evil, or do you really exist, or how can we say that there's just one way? Is it really just, is it really just God? Like how crazy that might seem to them? Would you come and penetrate their heart to where they would come to see that you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life? No one comes to you except through your son, Jesus. We need your help as we strive for that today. Guys, if you're here and you have a faith, if you would, take the next 10 seconds and pray that God would use this time in your life and that'd be helpful. If y'all would, please take another 10 seconds and pray for me. Pray that my heart would be yielded and my words would be God's. Lord, we thank you again for the joy of today. As we charge into the text you have for us, this book of Philippians, would you just be with us? We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We all, good morning. If I haven't met you, my name's John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. And again, as I shared before, I'm sincerely glad you're joining us on Father's Day. I want to start with sharing this, this story that got me thinking about something, which I really found applies to the text of where we'll be today. One of the things that's true is that I love electronic gadgets. I always have. It's probably like a pitfall of mine. But I, a couple weeks ago, broke my iPad, which, yeah, seriously, okay, there's a couple iPad people out there, which for me, I was just like, oh. So I broke it. So what do I do? I go, I pick up my phone. I go to Yelp, or for me, it was Google Maps. I type in uh, mobile phone repair. First one that pops up, the closest one I end up driving there. But they had the title of this company. It stood out to me. Right, I was going there to take this phone, and the title of the company, and maybe you guys have been there, there are locals here, Mobile Geeks. That was the title, Mobile Geeks. Now, I'd heard, if you know Best Buy, Geek Squad, like if you break your computer, black and white ties, you could take it there, but I remember seeing Mobile Geeks and thinking through, huh, it's a pretty interesting title. It's a pretty interesting thing to claim. So I can remember taking it, I show up, I open the door, it's in the strip center, you kind of walk in, there's this smaller room, and I, and I look behind the counter, and I have a conversation, and I talk about repairing it, and here's what's true, right? And I, I feel like I have permission to do this, because they put the word geek in the title, so they're trying to just own it. Pretty much every stereotype you would think of a geek, pretty much all of them is exactly who I interacted with. 
Like the entire time, like there's this nerdiness to it. There's this trustworthiness. Like this sounds so terrible and I know someone's going to send me an email. So go for it. It's Jay Omquist at the Springs. Like glasses everywhere pushing up. Like it's one of those where, okay, man, it was a geek environment. But here's what was amazing to me is, is I really realized this. I remember standing there and thinking, God, I trust you guys. Like, you are the perfect people. Like, it, like if it said mobile jocks, no way, man. That's not where I want to go, right? But because this title of geek was there, there was this sense of, like, built-in trust where it reminded me, okay, this is what they do. It's what they enjoy doing. It's, like, telling me all about it. And, guys, it really got me thinking about, man, way to go in embracing a title, how this title, it not only told me, hey, here's what you do, but this title also, in a weird way, like language I'd use, is it, it like casts vision for what they want the company to be about. And it started me, because this is the way my mind thinks, down this rabbit trail of thinking about this, where I started thinking through other companies that have done this and do this well. And what I mean by that is where they really take this title and they try to own it, right? There's a title and they try to own it. Let me give another example with technology in a place I could have gone, right? If you've ever had an Apple product and it breaks, one of the places you can take it to is an Apple store. You walk into the store, it's like silver everywhere in glass, and there's like kids running around, but it's like organized chaos, and you want everything, but you can't really get anything. But you go in there, and there's that massive bar at the back where you know people fix stuff, right? Let me ask you. What's the title of the people who work behind the bar? Genius, right? Genius. Apple titled the employees that I give an iPad to, if I were to take it there, an iPhone, whatever device, to fix it. They called them geniuses. That's genius, <laughs> honestly. Like, that is literally like, okay, there's built-in trust. You're telling me what you do, and you're, like, casting vision for what it could be. Let me give you another example, and it's one that I forgot about, but more I thought about it. What do you call the person anywhere, anywhere, when you show up and you go to order a cup of coffee? The person who prepares the coffee, fixes the coffee, blends the coffee, all that stuff. What do you call that person? Barista. Barista, right? So if you think through where did that really start, I got interested and I looked into it, right? Barista, it is Italian for bartender, not just coffee, but bartender, anybody that would give you a beverage from behind a bar, it was picked up by Starbucks right around the mid to early 2000s. They picked it up. Why? Because they wanted to create this culture that's exciting, that has this Italian influence. It's the same reason why we all had to memorize new language for small, medium, and large. And like, if you say medium, they look at you like, that's not, it's called grande. You're like, no, it's called medium, <laughs> right? But it's because they're trying to instill this like artisan culture. Meets with this exciting third space where people can meet. And they just took it off to where now, we say barista, everybody here, I know exactly what they do. And it like still, and I know the language is a little weird here, but it still, it like casts vision for what they should be. Guys, it got me thinking, especially as I read this text this week, where we're going to be. Just the truth of how a title, when it is owned, it means something. When, when a title, when it is not only clarifying what you do, but a vision for who you're supposed to be, it brings about a change. Right? Here, here's the reason I start with that today, where we're going to be, is the very first two verses of the book of Philippians. It's this letter that was written. 
And right at the beginning, the, the Apostle Paul, he's the guy who wrote the letter. He's going to use titles. He is going to use things written to this church body, these titles, to show us, to remind us, to proclaim to us, here's what you do, but here's what you could be. Here's, here's your job description, but here's how you'd be exemplary in living that out. To our guys, what I really want to spend the time talking about is how titles in every area of life, and especially if you're hearing you're a Christian, titles matter. Titles matter. Let, let me give you an example, and this is true whether you're a Christian or you're not. I, I came across a research study that said 70% of people, 70% of folks in, in the American workforce, they would rather have a job title that they feel is more impressive than a pay raise. Y'all hear that? They would rather have a job title that they feel is more impressive than a pay raise. Why, why is that? Because titles, what they do is they begin to say things about us. They communicate a sense of almost identity to where we can blend that. To where our heart can grasp around, this says something about me that I want to be true or I want to be shown for or I want to be known as. Guys, as we look today and we see titles for the church, like if you're here and you believe in Jesus, here's what really matters are these titles that excite you? Are these titles that you have a sense of honestly wanting to say, man, I'm going to own it? Because as we'll see from the text, these are not titles that the world would go and put before and want to elevate to where whenever I meet somebody now, and if you're an entrepreneur, you founded the company, bless you. Like the founder of every individual company was still one person at it, their self-titled CEO. Why? Because CEO, man, that C-suite. It's leadership that carries something. I use that as an example because we're not going to talk about titles that make people think of executive strong leadership, male, female. We're talking about titles that carry like a heart of submission, heart of service, like a heart of not, it's not about me, it's about him. Like church, do we, do we own this? And man, what I love about this too, if you're here and you're wrestling with the Christian faith, Right Here's what these titles are really going to show you and show me is Paul. He just kicks off as he just introduces this letter. He's going to show us how when you become a Christian, and all you got to do for that is believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. How when you become a Christian, it changes the way you think about yourself. It, it changes the terms that you want associated with you. You, you want to go with a heart of successful? Yes, there's nothing wrong with that. But successful, but man, may I be known for faithful. Like, yes, it's, hey, hey, if you, if you need to, there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but oftentimes it's motivated by, like, get mine. Yeah. Give away. How do I be more generous, more gracious, more loving, more sweet? These titles matter. And we're going to see this again in Philippians. Right at the start of this book, it's this letter. It's in your New Testament, verses 1 and 2. The three titles we're going to talk about that Paul, he, he addresses himself as the author, and then he gives two to his audience. The first one, it's going to be servants. The second, it's saints. And the third, what I'm going to do is I'm going to combine two words, shepherds. Guys, we're going to look at today how titles matter. We're going to see how Jesus Christ calls you and me to be servants, to be saints, and to be shepherds. To remind you guys kind of as we kick this off where we've been in Philippians, because we've spent 
I've loved it, but three weeks building up to it and so excited to finally be in it. Right, to, to set up where it is, the, the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter to this church. The church would have been located in northeast modern-day Greece. That's where they'd be located, a town called Philippi. He's writing this letter to this church that about 11 years previously he'd founded. He went through, he went through crazy circumstances. This rich gal trusts Christ, change your life. This gal who's possessed by a demon trusts Christ, change your life. This Roman jailer trusts Christ, change his life. And this church begins to come around and to be formed, this group of believers in a place where there were previously none. Fast forward 11 years, and throughout the book, we're going to learn more and more of the story. But this church body, they've been faithfully getting after it. They've cared for Paul. That's the author. And he's writing this letter back to them as he sits in a Roman prison cell. That's where he is. And he's going to frame it because, again, we're just looking at the introduction. Your Bible may say salutation. It's, it's a greeting. We're looking at where Paul, he's going to talk about how does he self-identify. And he's going to talk about as a church, the, the people. And a church is just a group of people who believe in Jesus that are gathering for a common purpose to grow in a fellowship and a unity. And he's going to talk about how do I identify myself? How should you identify yourselves? And he's going to greet them. The greeting here, it's a beautiful thing. He uses it repeatedly throughout. I'm going to give an overview of it. We won't spend as much time there today because what we're going to focus on is titles matter. So if you have a Bible, you can read with me. I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to come back up to the start and work our way through it. This is Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. That's what we're going to focus, but this is his salutation. This is his greeting, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what we're going to start today. That, that second part in verse 2, what he's talking about is what, what every follower of Jesus wants for other followers of Jesus, man, grace. More and more undeserved merit and favor from God and peace, the absence of tension and hostility. And I wish, man, we could do a whole sermon series on this. I wish we had more time. And then there's this preposition, grace to you and peace from Paul, just right at the beginning, before he gives not only this thank you letter, but this call to joy and encouragement for this church, he, he's going to outline for us where every good thing comes from. It all comes from God. I love why he starts there. I love why this is a greeting he uses repeatedly in multiple of his letters. Because he's framing, as he introduces the letter, he's framing for us. Hey, man, here's where it all comes from. Your heart is like Paul's heart, like mine. We have a tendency to try to find grace and peace in other things outside of God. What do they think about me at work? How does my wife feel about me? How successful are my kids? What does my retirement account look like? How quickly can I pay off the home to have a sense of security rather than trusting it with God? We, we try to find that anywhere. Peace, grace, and he's saying it comes from God. I love it, though, because one of the things that's also true is taking an ownership in the reality that titles matter. That comes from God. And the titles we're going to see, we just read through, servants, saints, shepherds. So let's look at the very beginning, that first clause right there, Philippians 1, 1. And then we're going to work through these. To all the saints, oh, excuse me, excuse me, right before that. Paul and Timothy, servants 
of Christ Jesus. The first title we're going to look at is the reality of servants. So Paul and Timothy, Paul, as you guys know from the background, if you need more background on him, go listen to the the past few weeks' uh, messages. If you had to focus on one, listen to the one two weeks ago, right? It gives a background on who Paul is, but think this church leader writing to these people from chains. That's who Paul is. Timothy was almost his like pastoral sidekick. Timothy was there when the church in Philippi was founded. He wasn't thrown in prison and he wasn't beaten. The reason for that is he was a Gentile. They beat Paul because he was a Jew. They ostracized him for that, but they didn't throw Timothy in prison because he was a Gentile. But he had labored with Paul for years. And we'll see later in this letter, he has this concern for this church. So he's not in chains, but he's a co-laborer with Paul. Is this heart where he just thinks through, man, in Northeast Greece, God, will you get after it? Like, will you go and will your gospel bring about actual change? That's why Timothy's listed here. And then they self-describe servants of who? Christ Jesus. Here's, here's why I love this, guys. You remember how I said 70% of us, like we'd pick an impressive job title over a pay raise? Because titles can make us look more impressive. Here's why I love this. The Apostle Paul, he could have put some serious titles that you and I should be in a righteous, concerning, honoring way impressed by. He could have put apostle, prophet, rabbi, teacher, shepherd. All these things that say, look at me, look at my gifts. Look how I can help you. You ever met folks that when you meet them within like the first five minutes, you know their entire resume? You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh yeah, no, hey, I went to school here, I graduated here. No, I've been doing this for a long time. They like tell you about the whole resume. Hey, I lead this board, I'm in charge of this board. Oh yeah, no, it's easy, it's fun. I just do it when I can. But you know their entire resume in like five minutes. Or they become and immediately like, no, let me tell you how little Johnny's amazing at this, little Susie's gifted at this. I don't know if you know this, but she just won the national flute competition. Right? Where folks, they just start to list off. Yeah, flute's not that cool either. I agree with you. Right? If you play flute, bless you. I have no musical ability. Bless you. Forgive me for that. Right? But it's one of those where we start to list off what's impressive. And Paul, he could pick these impressive titles. And what does he do? Servant. Your Bible, it may say bondservant. It may say slave. The Greek word there is doulos. It's literally, it's this theme that echoes back to the Old Testament. If you want to check it out, you can go look at it. It's Exodus 21. It's there, verses 5 and 6. But it's essentially where a slave, a bondservant, someone who'd been put into slavery under Israel, that, that's his theme he's coming to, to where a slave at that time, they could come and be freed. They could be freed through either earning their way to freedom, they could be freed through year of jubilee and people being let go, or they could be freed through other circumstances. And a slave could choose out of love for their master. It's literally what your Old Testament says, out of love for the master, to stay. To where as the master comes and says, no, hey, you can have other opportunities outside of me. You do not have to come and serve me. And the slave, out of love, can come to the master and say, no, no, I'm your bondservant. And the commitment, guys, the commitment, it's till death. To where they'd even, they'd even make it official where they'd have to go before a judge. And then as a demonstration to the community showing how this relationship had pierced his heart, showing a love for the master and it changed him to show a mark of change as one who's pledged. He'd come and on the doorpost of the house, they'd pierce his ear to show, I, I pledge my commitment here 
And here's a change to me showing my love for the others. Guys, when we read servant, what Paul's saying, I'm a willing, out of love, not forced, but because he gave me freedom, I'm a slave. I'm here for him. Like, here's why I think this matters. Do you often associate yourself with the reality that titles matter? Do you associate yourself with, I'm a servant of the king? It's not my will, it's the king's will. It's not my wants, it's the king's wants. It's his money. They're his kids. How I steward my career, it's, it's his. Every option, every opportunity for freedom, it's, it's his. I have one goal in life. Serve. Why? Because, man, the king came to serve me. Paul here, he has this verse. It's a great thought. I've always appreciated it. It's in 1 Corinthians 4. It's written in this church in Corinth where he just says, if anyone should regard any of us, may they regard us as servants of God and stewards of the mysteries of Christ. Where Paul there, he's talking about these teachers, he's talking about these church folk and these leaders, and then he's talking about himself where he's saying, here's what I want to be known for. Right, and the context before is even like Paul's growing popularity. He just says, man, here's what I want to be known for. I want to be a slave. I want to be a slave to the one who brought me freedom, who gave me forgiveness of sins, who I didn't work for it, but it's out of love till death. And in death, he'll bring me home. Church, I got to ask you, like is service an actual rhythm to your life? Or is it more, like in your heart, what can happen is the same as in mine, like the sense of like strange entitlement? Like, like let's say it's Father's Day. Like if you're a husband and you see the dishes full, hey, full disclosure, the dishes are full at my kitchen right now sitting in there, right? If the dishes are full, do you tend to think, when was the last time you did dishes and your wife had more free time than you, so she should have done it? Or do you think, man, I came to serve. Last time you saw... Y'all, I got unfolded uh, laundry at my house. Last time you saw a pile of unfolded laundry. Like, I'm just asking you, man, because this is the easy stuff. This is the layup, the easy daily grind of service. Because we all want to come and say, no, 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 man, they're in a hard time. There's a crisis. Yes, I'll show up in a moment. Showing up in a moment, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's also way easier. It's way easier. Like, do you come and even have a heart here? When you come to serve, if, if you're a member here at the Springs and you serve here at the Springs, like, do you do so begrudgingly? Do you do so under the guise of, oh, it's because the church makes me in order to be a member? If that's you, you don't want to be a member here. And we are not discipling you. And titles matter and you're meant to be a servant. If the thought of going and serving with some of the ministry partners here in town where you legitimately sacrifice, where it's life on life, where it's relational, where you go and get involved with people that it like makes you nervous and you don't know what to say and it's hard and they don't appreciate it. That's what you're meant to do. That's who we are. Servants. Titles matter. There's a guy who's exemplified this at the Springs. There's so many folks that I could talk about. Right, but he's come ever since the beginning. I've been here a little over a year and a half, and he's come. And every week, whenever this comes, I, I know it's a smaller place or we gather in McKenna or whatever, but it takes a tremendous amount of work to create this environment every Sunday. 
from kids' ministry to, to this stage, to the setup, to the lights, to the sound, to the microphone, to the worship music, to the folks who greet you, to the pamphlets that they hand out, to coming early, to reminding themselves, God, this is a privilege. It's hard. There's a friend of mine, Stacy. He has led the pack with this for years. So he'll come and he'll serve with our set of teardown team, the most thankless, overlooked role at the spring. The only one who sees them serve in the morning when they step away from family to come is God. That's a blessing, man. He comes oftentimes if the trailer is not at his house, he'll have to go pick it up. There's a rotation for that. He'll have to go pick up a trailer early in the morning, drive it here, have it here by eight, and then help a group of folks unload everything. They'll unload all the different things in here, all the different things for kids' ministry. He'll then come once that is done and start setting up sound. He'll figure out sounds and microphones and music. He'll help the worship team. He'll help me with a run-through. And then during the entire service, he'll sit there. And he'll make sure it goes according to plan. After that, guess what he'll do? You'd think I'd be like, oh, he works so hard, man. He goes home with his wife. We go out to lunch. They feel like, man, I honored God. No, man. With literally sweat dripping down him in the same way everybody else who goes and does it does. He tears down the whole thing. Stays here. Leads the team. He's a servant. Carries everything to this trailer out there in the sun. And y'all, it's summertime. It's getting hot. And here's what's amazing. There's a discipleship ministry that meets here Monday nights. You know who shows up to do it all else? Stacy. He keeps some of it in his own car. We got this new soundboard because things were changing here. There was more folks and we needed more microphones. No one knew how to do it. So he would go home during the week and take the soundboard. To just practice by himself. Why? For y'all. Because of Christ. Servant. Guys, you, you can do this as dad. You can do it as a son, as a daughter, as a brother, as a sister. You, you can do it as a teacher. You, you can do it as a doctor. You can do this in every way. But what I'm telling you is, do you own it? Does title matter? Like the same way Paul, this guy who could have had this amazing title, leads with, no man, I'm going to be chief servant, like he forgave me much. I'm going to give much. Titles matter. Let's look at the next title. We're going to stay in verse 1. We're staying in verse 1, but let's see it again. I, I get so excited for this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. The second title we want to talk about is one where, where Paul, he shifted as he's introducing this letter. Before he talked about him as an author, Timothy. Now he's talking about his audience. And he calls to, to, the, to the saints who are in Philippi. It's this local church. There would have been this gathering of people. There wouldn't have been too many. He calls them all saints. He calls them saints. Man, here's the reason why I love this, right? We'll, we'll talk about what the word saint means in a second, but when saint comes to my mind, here's what often it means. If I have friends who are from a, perhaps a high church environment or a Catholic background, they'll, they'll really grasp this. If not, it can be a little more confusing at times. The, the word saint comes with this connotation of they have so distinguished themselves by exemplary, honorary service or faithfulness. Like there's Christians and then there's saints. It's this cut above. There's, there's perhaps JV but they're varsity. And Paul's writing this letter, and you see him use saints in a crazy way. He calls every person there who believes in Jesus a saint. 
He says, if you're there, the title that I want to address you as, the title I want you to own, the title I want you to grip, it's saint. You don't earn it, it's given. Saint, it, it literally means set apart, holy. And how do you get that title, church? How do you do it? You do nothing to earn it. You do nothing to keep it. There's this funny thing that we tend to do. Like people almost make a, a joke out of it at times, and, and I can understand it, where they kind of tend to think about themselves, well, man, it depends on the day of the week whether or not I'm a saint or I'm a sinner. I have my moments like we all do. Here's what I would tell you. I, I think I understand the heart behind it. But church, if you believe in Jesus, that is terrible theology. It's terrible. If you believe in Jesus Christ for the payment of your sins, that he died on a cross for you, and he rose from the grave, the check cleared, and he did it because he loves you, you're a saint. You don't go in and out of sainthood. It is permanent. It is forever. It is a gift. That's what it means to be a saint. Like, do you think of yourself as a saint? Or do you think of yourself as like God's letdown? Do you think of yourself like, perhaps you're like me, man, where I had the privilege this morning, my daughter comes in the room, she's so excited, she woke up way too early, as always, comes in the room, she's excited, I get to hear her say daddy in a unique way, where she comes to me, and her, her title is daughter. And I got to look at her and thank her for, man, I'm grateful to be your father. She's two and a half, she doesn't really get it, right? I am grateful to be your father. Daughter. Daughter doesn't change. Daughter is fixed. There's nothing she can do to unearn being a daughter. She's my daughter. Do you view yourself as saint? Do you grasp that it's just by the gospel and it's not by works? Because this word to so many, it can be confusing. Church titles matter. And as Paul's introducing this letter, man, he's writing these titles. Here's who it's from, man, servants. We're all meant to be servants. And here's who I'm writing, saints. You're all saints. It doesn't matter if you came in still with the pain of last night's sin in you. It doesn't matter if you can look to last week and there's something you're actively trying to forget. It doesn't matter if this afternoon you have plans to go and give your heart to things you know he died for. If you believe in him, saint. Should that reality lead you and I to living as a saint? Absolutely, it's a motivator. But can you lose a free gift? No. Titles matter. Let's look at one more title. Let's look at one more. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Guys, this is probably the part I'm the most excited to talk about. Right here, there's these two titles, overseers deacons. He's combining them. What I'm, I'm combining them to mean is shepherd. I'm going to tell you why they're called shepherds. Literally the word elder there, or excuse me, overseer, it, it, it's synonymous with elder, bishop, shepherd, pastor. It's used all throughout the New Testament. Shepherd, deacon there, it literally means servant. It means minister. These are two people who on behalf of the local church, they are meant to shepherd. Now, when it comes to shepherds, you got to talk about two different things. And stay with me, because if you've been at the Springs for a little bit, you understand why I'm setting it up this way. There's the reality that all Christians are, one, called to shepherd one another. 
that the role that you embrace in your community group at this church is that you will submit to the care of others and you will give care to others. You are a shepherd. I am not the only pastor here at Springs Community Church. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you call this your church home, welcome to the pastorate. Welcome to the clergy. That's all throughout your Bible. Church, we're all called the shepherd. But then there's another connotation of shepherd, and it has to do with something that that a lot of folks call the office of shepherd. Or here, the office of elder, the office of deacon. The reason I want to use this time to talk about this, because right now, the springs, if you call us your church home, we are in the process of identifying, raising up, putting before the body, and then confirming and appointing elders. Elders, biblically, all throughout Scripture, and I'm going to do my best to give us some resources later. They are men appointed by God to serve, to shepherd, to give their life away on behalf of a local church. They are shepherds. And Paul here, and scholars disagree, like, is he writing to the shepherd heart of everyone or is he writing to an office? I don't know. I'm going to talk about the office because it really helps us today, especially where we are. Because what I want to do here is really explain what is these roles? Why do we care so much? Why should we as a body be pleading with God that he would raise up? He would demonstrate the right shepherds to come and help us care for the sheep. Right, here's why I think this matters. Anytime it comes to talking about overseers or elders here, there's a whole process. They're appointed by God. They're put before. They are shepherds of a church. There's never just one, I will never operate in autonomy here at the Springs. Language that can help folks is I am one hand on the steering wheel. Will I be appointed as an elder? Yes. Who else will be? Not sure yet. Pray with me. I'll tell you, though, how we go about identifying. I'll tell you go about how we find these shepherds. The first thing, and now, now we're drifting off into the heart of the shepherd. The first thing, and those of you who grew up in church, you may know some of this stuff. There's qualifications for elders, because it's not just you come and you pick anyone. Like there's this theme in American culture where folks, when it comes to finding elders, they tend to find one who's, who's just good enough. Oh, hey, hey, who's been to seminary and knows a bunch of Bible? Who has the deepest pockets and can really make sure we give a sense of ownership to and they can stroke a check for the church? Like who, who is a business leader or who's really influential in the community? Because it all makes us feel good to have that person. You know what, I'm going to show you is a shepherd, is someone who not out of obligation, but with sincerity, they love God and they fear him. And what I mean by fear is they revere. They walk in wisdom, they're the posture of humility to where they know, no, I've been sent to shepherd. And one day, as the book of Hebrews says in chapter 13, I will give an account. Like if you're here and you're a member, sometimes people ask, why do we have to go to all these discipleship classes? Why do they care for in a community group? Can't we just come? Why is membership such a big deal? Myself, presently, I believe the trustees, the community group leaders over you, the shepherding structure that's here. But man, one day, I literally believe, why? Because it's in my Bible, that I, as well as they, will stand and I will give an account for your soul your marriage, for the discipleship of your kids, 
for the way you fought against a, a tug and a pull towards divorce, for the way that you chose to disciple a young one in the midst of, I don't know how to let my feelings out, so the only way to express it is to cut. For the ways that you go and you interact with a world that increasingly views Christianity as judgmental, hostile, and condemning, for you to be known as love and light while never forsaking truth, I will literally stand before the creator of the universe and he will ask me about it. What it'll be like, I don't know. I know I don't have to fear it. But I know that that will be serious. I know at the moment, and guys, I have these, where my lapse in leadership, 1 Corinthians 3, it says I will feel a sense of loss. But God has sent the local church as the primary institution in which he seeks to change a broken, sinful, and lost world. And because of that, as long as he wants me, I'm here. As long as he wants me, I'm here. How long do I stay here? I don't know. If I ever get voted out or I lose it for moral failure, whatever, then I'm done. But between now and then, to the best of my ability, I will come to shepherd. Don't just find good enough. That's why when churches say elders, what I'm telling you, what most people mean when they mean elder, I mean something completely different. And I think mine is far more biblical, and I'll show you that in a second. I think the same thing's true, and this is another rabbit trail. I think the same thing's true here when we talk about community. People say community in the Christian world all the time, and I'm telling you, real community is not the way that the majority of American evangelicals practice community. It's life on life. It's everything in. It's there's nothing in your life that's off limits. It's calling you to pursue faithfulness, to confess sin, to forsake it, to give your life away as a servant. It's actual discipleship. Not, not just patty cake Christianity. Y'all, New Braunfels knows patty cake Christianity. The elders God has for this body can't. Does that mean they have to be perfect men? Lord, no, I'm not. Does that mean that elders, that you make them over time and they grow? Yes, thank God, that's the only reason I have a job. But should there be a difference? Yes. Should there be a holiness? Yes. Should that be something all Christians aspire to? Let me give you an overview of where some of this comes from, right? I'm just going to list off a few things. What I have here is a piece of paper, right? I printed this out. It was something we gave for an elder conversation we had about a year and a half ago, right? An elder conversation where it essentially listed every Bible verse, and there would be more, right? But Bible verses that inform the prayer guide of who God would bring, what he's looking to do. I'm just going to list some of these. If you want to go and check this out, like if you call this your church home, I, we've posted this on our blog. It's elders.springs nb.org or just go to the blog you'll find it and it's meant to be a prayer guide it's meant to show you and to show me what happens with elders they are men who operate in mutual submission of one another to pray for and to shepherd the flock of god they are not a business advisory team they are a pastorate team do they oversee the business administration of the church yeah why because so many times it has a deep spiritual impact so many times and here's what they must be. Above reproach, the husband of one wife means a one-woman man. Sober-minded, self 
controlled. How's your emotions, church? Are you a man who's marked by temper with his family, with his kids? Or are you marked by control, humility, not open to the charge of debauchery, respectable, not a drunkard, not vile, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, not open to the charge of insubordination. Hey, let me ask you. Here's why I love that Paul put not open to the charge of insubordination. The best leaders start as phenomenal followers. Don't follow people who don't know how to submit. You know what submission looks like? You can rebuke them. You know what submission looks like? You can put them in their place. You know what submission looks like? They're known for humility and approachability. But it also looks like I'm a shepherd of God, and I will not drift off truth no matter what you think of me. They're not arrogant. They don't want to make it about them. They are a lover of good. They hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. They, they aspire to the role, they do not persist in sin. Elders are not meant to be perfect, but habitual sin, persistent sin, man, we must be careful. They're clothed in humility, knowing God opposes the proud. They understand they'll give an account. They manage their own household well. With all dignity, they keep their children submissive. Like right there, my daughter, again, two and a half, I'm out, right? You just take that straight, literal, Everybody's out. What it's talking about, though, and I've, I've seen this, man. It's hanging out with a, a daughter of a guy that we're in the process of talking this with even recently. And she talked about how even if she goes to transition out of high school and into college, how she's going to miss the opportunities of how her parents had instilled and discipled her, how to share her faith, how to engage with others, how they comforted her when she became known at a public high school here as the religious girl. Right? As they comfort her and saying, Way to go, sweetheart. Don't you ever become self-righteous. Way to go. That's what I'm talking about. Hospitable. Able to teach. What that doesn't mean is they got to come up and give sermons. What that means is if you sit there and you have a question, what, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? How do we handle water baptism, infant baptism? Why, why do we have a conviction and a stance that's complementarian? where the office of elder is reserved for men. How do we do that without like looking as women as the lesser or inferior? How do we know that that is about role biblically and has nothing to do with rank? They gotta be ready to say, I would love to talk through it. Well thought of by outsiders, not a recent convert, able to give instruction and sound doctrine able to rebuke, they shepherd the flock, they're an example to flock, they pray, they are men marked by life on their knees. They visit the sick and they pray, they do nothing from prejudice or partiality. They're servant-hearted, they have a conviction to teach, a desire to shepherd, they have a desire to be God's watchman. I wrote this down because here's, I think, before people go and they do this checklist, because they're like, oh, not a drunkard, check, haven't been drunk in a while. Oh, I'm not violent, check, haven't hurt anybody in a while. And you just go through and they check this list. Oftentimes, the thing I think you got to do is you got to start with what's your motive? Why do you want to be an elder? Are you doing it to seek approval or validation from others? Are you doing it to seek advancement in the business community or the community popularity? Are you doing it just because you have the available time, so therefore you're like, ah, why not? Are you doing it because you're one of the Springs founding families and you think you deserve a seat at the table? Are you doing it because you think success in business will mean success in ministry? 
Do you, are you doing it because you think God loves, likes, and honors elders above others? He doesn't. You're held to a stricter account. That's why James, at the start of uh, chapter 3 there in James we taught through, not many of you should be teachers. He warns against it. Here's what I'm saying. An elder has to aspire to it, but the heart, if they're just jumping at it like, oh, you should, I want to, of course I should be, that tells me they don't really know about it. The heart has to be willing. It has to be willing and desire to be that type of faithful shepherd. But it doesn't always look like that. Oh, here's a bad motivation. You've been in your church your whole life. So this feels like the right next step for you. You have a desire to preach from a stage on Sundays. And you think that only the most faithful, gifted, or talented men will be appointed to the role. It's not true at all. I have no doubt there are plenty of more faithful men than me here. But church, what I'm telling you is, and this is where, if you want to send me an email, jomquist at thespringsnb.org. What I'm telling you, though, the spring still has a vibe where we call elder what cultural Christianity calls elder. Good enough is not good enough. We must call elder shepherd imperfect. Give them grace in the same way. I thank you for the grace you extend to me. They are made over time. They come from this body, and we, we will appoint them. We are not lazy in dragging our feet to it. But we must have shepherds. Let me tell you about deacon. Deacon, the word it means servant, it means minister. A lot of time what deacon can be associated with in our culture it's a committee. If you're ever on a deacon committee, bless you. A lot of folks, and they see us from Acts chapter 6, it's the service extension of the church. What I'd tell you, man, is they are servants and ministers. I, I would tell you now, we have deacons at the Springs. They don't carry the title of deacon because I do think deacon means something different than shepherd. Deacon means something different than elder. The only difference between a deacon and an elder, right, is females can be included in deacons because of the role, as well as able to teach. That ultimately elders will be the, the final determination of what is right and wrong convictional doctrine. But they are servants and they are shepherds. Church, what I'm asking you is that's the office. And I've given you all of that because I'm asking you to pray for the office, who God would have that these would be folks known for holiness in both places, but we, stepping out of the office into the general role, we would be a place where shepherd is a title that is owned, where community groups aren't here. They aren't just a weekly gathering where you show up because you're supposed to and basically talk about nothing. Or if you want to take the next step, if you go to that group and you then find yourself basically saying, oh man, we talk about nothing, shepherds go in and change it the next week. They take ownership for it. We're all pastors. We're all shepherds. But there is something about the office of elder that matters. The, I, I trusted Christ about eight years ago. The church I was a part of, 10 years before that, they'd been around about 12 years. 10 years before that, the, the pastor there, he gave a sermon on the day that they appointed that they confirmed elders. And he titled the sermon this, this is either the best day in the history of the church or it is the beginning of the end. 
by God's grace, when we go to appoint elders, I'm stealing that sermon title. It's true. Biblically, we see no allowance for term limits. You serve in the office as long as you can faithfully serve in the office. Relationships in my life where I choose the person, right? Relationships in my life where I choose biblically, I see no relationship that will have more of an impact on my life besides my wife than the elders who become a part of the Springs. I see no leadership decision that I will ever be a part of, and I'm one of multiple votes. That's why the trustees exist here right now. I see no leadership decision here at the Springs that I will ever be a part of that has a greater ability to bring health or pain than the appointment of leaders. Guys, titles matter. Shepherds matter. Good enough is not good enough. I share this because these are the titles we need to embrace. And that specific title, I'm pleading with you. Pray for that. Join me. Pray for that. Because church titles matter. Servants, you're meant to give your life away. It's not about you. Don't lead with how you're impressive. Be known for being forgotten when God sees you. The title that matters is saint. You don't work for this, guys. You just believe and it changes you. And he looks on you as loved one and as child. Shepherds. We, we are all called to shepherd one another and care for each other. I'm pleading with you. If you're considering making this your church home, we're going to be different. It's why you stand up and you give messages like this where people are like, man, it's Father's Day. That seems a little too invasive. That's because we're trying to be the church. We actually want to do it here. And one day, he'll ask me about it. And I fear him way more than I fear that you think the Springs has taken this a little too seriously. And I'm pleading with you, knowing countless people here fully agree. Will you pray for that too? We're not special. We just want to be faithful. Imperfect, busted, broken people. But who, when it comes to this, we take it really serious. Shepherds. Guys, if you remember, I started at the beginning of this, and I'll close with this, talking about verse, verse 2. is a greeting where it gave this theme of grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. It talks about where all these things come from. We're made servants because we get it from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're made saints because it was given to us by God from the Lord Jesus Christ. We grow in being shepherds. We aspire at every level because it comes from Christ. But far too often, man, we don't go to him as the source. As we go to grow in how the reality of titles matter, we don't go to him as the one who points us to it. My daughter, I've told you guys a little bit about her. This past week, one of the ways I'm trying to do, as like any dad, I can't convince my daughter to believe in Jesus Christ. If she just chooses Jesus because her daddy's a pastor, I have not done her a service. So what I don't disciple her in is here's what you believe, here's what you love, Here's what you say, because you're a daughter of mine, and you got to represent daddy well. Nope. But what I do is the opposite. 
here's what God thinks of you. Here's what God feels about you. Here's how I feel about you. I ask her this question to kind of help me with this all the time, right? And I've, I've honestly only started the past couple weeks. But I ask her, hey, Lily, who loves you? Who loves you, Lily? By the grace of God, and she doesn't know what she's saying, but she goes, Jesus. She knows the answer I'm looking for. Jesus. And she's sweet. She's cute. And then I ask her, because I'm trying to get her, and, okay, who else loves you? Like, Daddy. Who else loves you? Mommy. Like, I'm trying to instill that in her to where I pray that God just keep me in it to where, like, she's 15 and going out the door. And I'm like, hey, who loves you? She's like, gosh, Jesus, who loves you? Gosh, you, Dad. And I, like, keep her there, and she's got to say it. And then she goes, and she's, like, 30 by the grace of God. And I ask her the same question. She just rolls her eyes. I want those moments. And I ask her, after she says, Jesus, who loves you? And she, because, man, we care so much about theology at my house. She says, other Jesuses, if you're a Christian, you know that's not like how you answer. It's kind of a big deal to us, right? She says, other Jesuses. And it's hard, man, because if I laugh, she does it more, so I try to hold it back, right? And then I, I, I keep going, and she says, then daddy and mommy, and we try to clear up the other Jesuses thing. <laughs> I told you, shepherds don't have to be perfect, man. But hey. Here's what's true. My daughter says that. She's a little over two. And it's almost comedic, kind of like a joke. But guys, as Paul's writing this, this church letters, he's introducing it to everyone. He's, he's instilling these titles. There's this reminder where it all comes from. It's Jesus. And, and he starts there with this reminder because you and I have a tendency to find our titles everywhere else. We would never say, if you're a Christian, other Jesuses. But man, we try to make our, our job, another Jesus, another form of self-salvation, self-improvement. We try to make the quality of our marriage, another Jesus. We try to make how much money we have in the bank account, another Jesus. We try to make that next vacation to bring us grace and peace, another Jesus. So my two-year-old does it, and it's funny. But many of us, we've walked with God much longer, and we functionally, we do the same thing. Guys, I share that because as you come and you reflect, servant, saint, shepherd, it comes from him. Those titles matter. Don't you dare go find who you're meant to be anywhere other than the one and the only Jesus Christ. We do that. It will be one of the greatest adventures and privileges of your life, I believe, being a part of this body. Let me pray that we would. Father, I thank you for the reminder in my life. I, I thank you for the truth of how, you, how you've called us all to be servants, knowing we are made saints, called to be shepherds. Lord, I pray for the elders. I pray for those who you have. Would you continue making that abundantly clear? Would you continue bringing forward the folks who they honestly, they just stand out. They don't try. They just do. They're not looking for promotion. They've just been faithful. How in the same way, Samuel, man, he went through all those brothers until the one who wasn't there was off tending sheep, and we find him. Lord, would you help us to remember no one ever comes perfect. Every elder, especially me, is made, not just found. So God, would you make this in your time? May we never be a day too quick to step outside of your will in haste. 
but may we never, may I never delay. Lord, these titles matter. Would you help us to apply them to our lives? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, hey, thank you all for joining us. Happy Father's Day to you. I hope you have a great lunch plan or brunch or something. But, man, we'll see you next week. Have a great week of worship.